much better. I understand he may be able to come to the office tomorrow. Of course, we're thankful that their little granddaughter was able to come home from the hospital, I think, uh, yesterday. Uh, and uh, so we want to uh, continue to remember them. Uh, I guess before we begin tonight, maybe we could uh, go around. If anybody's got anybody we want to mention for our prayer list, that might be good. I will note this tonight in the bulletin. There is a correction. Uh, Margaret Horch, the sister-in-law of Joanne Roberts, did not pass away. So you read it in the bulletin that she did? Well, she didn't. So anyhow, good news. Who does? Okay. Where does she live? Okay. Anybody else? Joan's sister. What's her name again? Okay. All right. Joan's sister's got COVID. We're glad that they're back. They've been having COVID and... Huh? Y'all don't even look like you've had COVID. Wow. Y'all. Good. Anybody else? Jerry Warren. Okay. Where does she live? Okay. begin do what now say that one more time okay all right let's begin with a prayer tonight we bow with me our merciful and kind heavenly father we are so grateful and thankful for this opportunity to come here tonight and and study your word we're so thankful for such opportunities father there have several been mentioned tonight on our, our list for prayer. And Father, you know whose names we have called tonight. And Father, we pray your richest blessings upon them. You know each of their needs and you know what uh, they lack. And Father, we pray for each of these uh, that your hand of peace uh, would be upon them. We pray for those that are attending to their needs, that they'll do the things that are most needful and helpful for uh, their recovery. Father, we're so thankful for the church here that meets at Boonville. We're, we're so thankful for the shining light this church is in the community. We pray for her leaders. We, we pray for each member here. And we pray that we'll always remain focused on glorifying you in all things that we do. Most of all, Father, we're thankful for your son, Jesus, who gave his life on the cross for our sins. We ask that you would forgive us of all of our sins, as we know that the blood of your Son washes those sins away. And Father, we pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. One time a Sunday school teacher was discussing the Ten Commandments with her five- and six-year-old class, and after the teacher explained 
the command, honor your father and your mother, she went on to ask, is there any commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? And without a beat, one of the little boys raised his hand and said, you shall not kill. So I thought, there's probably a lot of truth in that. All right. Speaking of that, I want us to talk about forgiveness tonight. Ken gave me free reign uh, over what I could talk about tonight. And since the Fried Hardeman lectures were this week and all, I wanted to emphasize the importance of forgiveness. Now, this is the first time I've ever taught a class here. So the way I like to teach class here, it's not my class, it's your class. So I want you to feel free to speak up, interrupt, make comments, Anything like that, I, I love for you to do that. So please feel free to do so. Because as I said, it's not my class. This is your class. And I'm glad you're here tonight. And we appreciate all of you for being here tonight. You know, there's three really different uh, kindreds, spirits in the human heart. One is giving. Uh, another is thanksgiving. And the other is forgiving. And usually... Where you find one of those, you're going to find all three of them. And so I want to talk about maybe how we can overcome unforgiveness, how we can have more of a forgiving spirit. I think that's one of the greatest needs that, that we have today. People today are so self-oriented. They're so focused on themselves. You know, how does this affect me? You know, my space, my time, what I want. And many times... Uh, we fail to realize if we're going to be focused on other people, we've got to be forgiving of others because we're human beings and we naturally are going to offend one another from time to time. Let me just mention briefly some things that uh, forgiveness is not, and you may want to add to this list as well. You know, forgiveness is not just ignoring the one that may have wronged us. Uh, forgiveness is a lot more than just refusing to strike blow for blow, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Now, you may think that somebody may deserve that, but true forgiveness is more, much more than just refusing to strike blow for blow. Uh, one might be willing to refrain from such behavior and yet harbor ill will and hate toward another person. Also, forgiveness is not just ignoring the sin either. You know, God does not overlook sin, and neither should we. Uh, Jesus tells us that we need to rebuke and not ignore over in Luke 17, verse 3. Also, you know, forgiveness is not putting somebody who offends us on probation. While we discuss, you know, how inexcusable that person's behavior was, promising to forget it, you know, if you stay on your best behavior, yeah, I'll just forget about that. So those are some things that forgiveness is actually not. And many times, if we're not careful, we may equate some of those things with forgiveness. I think we can tell what forgiveness is by observing what God does when He forgives. What does God do when He forgives? Anybody got any thoughts on that? How does God forgive us? God forgets. Now that's hard for us to do, isn't it? Uh, God forgets, he puts it completely out of his memory. Your sins, Hebrews 8 and verse 12, and iniquities will I remember no 
more. Isn't that something to think about? Now, of course, as Christians, 1 John 1 verse 7 says, you know, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ keeps on cleansing us of all sin. You know, God cannot tolerate sin. No sin can come into the presence of God. And so even though all of us acknowledge the fact that we do sin, we stand before God because of the blood of Jesus as those who are guiltless of sin. And that, That's exactly right. Yeah, Paul talked about his sins and all. And Paul recognized that his forgiveness came as a result of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we're thankful for what Jesus did on our behalf. He took our sin and washed that sin away in his own blood. What else does God do when he forgives? That's right. Now, okay. Say God... As, as you're saying here, God removes the notation from his record. You know, if you look at Acts 3 and verse 19, the Bible says, Repent you therefore and be converted, that your sin may be blotted out. That's a wonderful thought. Our sins are literally blotted out. And so uh, God, when he forgives us, the record is empty. It's completely stricken from the record. But then I think about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. I want you to notice there that God is pictured as that father who graciously welcomes back that son who has wasted his substance in riotous living. And when that son finally comes to himself and comes back home, we observe there in that wonderful story the welcome that that father gave that son. In other words, he treated him just like he did before he left home. He received him back wholeheartedly. And so when God forgives, what does he do? When we sin, he accepts us back completely and wholeheartedly. We're not on some kind of little probation type period. Uh, he forgives us completely and he views us as if we had never even committed that transgression. And then think about how we can understand forgiveness by observing some examples of it in the Bible. You know, there are some accounts in the Bible that we read about that very graphically illustrate to us what forgiveness is and what it should be. For example, one of the best examples in the Old Testament is Esau. In Genesis chapter 33 and verse 4, if you recall the story there, uh, there was a lot of contention between Jacob and Esau. And that contention basically came as a result of his parents' treatment toward each one of them. Uh, Mom favored one child and dad favored the other child. And of course, we know that uh, Jacob deceived his father. He stole the birthright from his brother Esau, and the birthright was, was something very, very significant. Uh, it meant a whole lot uh, physically, materially, and spiritually. And you think about 
somebody, you know, your own brother stealing that birthright. And uh, we know how Jacob left and went for his life. And when he was uh, coming back with his whole family, he heard Esau was coming toward him with over 400 men. And, you know, he prepared strategically for what was going to happen and how they could maybe escape. But you recall the story how Esau was so happy to see him that Esau had forgiven Jacob for all that wrong. And to me, that's just a wonderful story. I think about how Joseph forgave his brethren in Genesis chapter 45. And you recall that Joseph really had a bad home life. The Bible talks about how Joseph's brothers were envious of him. They were jealous of him. The Bible even says that they could not even speak a kind word to their own brother. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine living in a home with 12 brothers and sisters or whatever and nobody could even speak a kind word to you? Now, of course, Jacob, I guess, shares some of that responsibility because, you know, he favored Joseph. And uh, he gave Joseph that code of, of many colors. And you can just imagine the ill will, the awful treatment that, that Joseph got at home. And of course, one time we know that Joseph was sent to check on his brothers and they saw him coming from a distance. Yeah, they strategically planned, didn't they? What they wanted to do was kill him. That's what they wanted to do. Can you imagine plotting to kill your own flesh? We read about stories sometime in the news, right? We hear news stories where somebody may actually conspire against their own flesh and blood. It's hard for me to comprehend that idea. We always hear the idea that blood's thicker than water, but they actually were going to kill their own brother, and they would have if Reuben had not intervened. But in their minds, they did kill Joseph that day when they sold him as a slave into Egypt because nobody's going to survive that, especially a teenage boy, right? So in their minds, he was dead. And of course, Genesis 45 uh, talks about the account there where Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers who had come to get food because of the famine. And those brothers just knew that they had had it. I mean, Joseph is going to have our heads on a platter. They thought they were done for. And don't you just love Joseph's reaction as he reveals himself and he cries and moans and shed tears over revealing himself to his brothers. He said, as for you, you meant it evil, but God meant it for good. You know, he meant it to provide sustenance, you know, for all the people. God meant this for good. Joseph saw God's hand uh, working through something that was a negative aspect in his life. And that's a wonderful example of forgiveness. We read about how Moses forgave Miriam and Aaron in Numbers chapter 12. I uh, think about Saul and how Saul wanted to kill David. He had 3,000 men out searching the countryside for David, and yet David never did one thing wrong to Saul at all. In fact, we know that David twice spared the life of King Saul. And so in spite of the fact that Saul unjustly sought David's life, David instead forgave Saul. And of course, we've already touched on the fact that the father in Luke chapter 15 forgave that wayward son. Now, we can tell 
If we have forgiven somebody else, if we'll simply take the have I forgiven my offender test, and I'm going to give you that test. Have I forgiven the one that has offended me? Here's what you can ask yourself. Do I secretly rejoice when I hear of some misfortune that's come to that person that's offended me? Do I go, ha ha, he got his, didn't he? You know, do we, are we happy when something bad happens to somebody that has hurt us? Number two, do I purposely avoid that person's presence? In other words, if he's in the room, I'm leaving. Have you really forgiven somebody if you tried to avoid their presence at all cost? Uh, number three, do I speak to him hesitatingly or only in a circumstance of duress? You know, we fall in the same room together and it's very small. You know, we have no choice. Do I only speak to that individual when I'm under duress? Uh, number four, do I vividly Remember the wrong committed. Do I brood over the wrong that that person committed toward me? Does it continually bother me? Do I think about it, dwell on it? Does it keep me maybe from going to sleep at night? Also, do I ever in silence meditate and brood over the wrong uh, that has been done toward me? The next one. If a particular circumstance arose related to the one who offended me uh, demanding prayer, could I happily and readily go to God on that person's behalf? What would be my attitude toward praying for some circumstance in that individual's life? And then the last one, have I sought an opportunity to do the one that has offended me a favor? Now, I think that's a good test that we need to think about and, and consider, and perhaps it's something that we need to think about. So we know what forgiveness is. I think we can see that, and we're going to talk about that in more detail in just a minute. But next of all, uh, let's talk about the importance and the necessity of forgiving another person. Now, this is where the rubber hits the road here. It's not an optional thing, right, to forgive somebody. It's necessary. It's important. First of all, it's a command. We're commanded to forgive one another. And God doesn't give commands that are insignificant or non-essential, does he? So when God says that we are to forgive one another, it's not an optional matter, right? You know, we don't view uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper, the commands to obey those things. We don't view those things as not essential. Neither can we view forgiveness in the, at that same way. Uh, what about the example of Jesus Christ? You think about what they did to Jesus. You think about who Jesus was to start with. He was sinless. He died on the cross, the just for the unjust. We read about how they beat him with that scourge. He bore his own cross to Calvary. He suffered an excruciating death on Calvary. And yet you read about his example in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, he said there on the cross, Father, forgive them. Why? They know not what they do. Now, he was not praying that God would forgive them in their sin, but he was praying that ultimately uh, they could come to the state of being forgiven even 
of the sin of crucifying Jesus Christ. Now, we must follow his example, right? We're commanded to follow in his footsteps. You know, Paul said, be ye followers of me, even as I also am a follower of Christ. And so if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a true disciple, we have to follow his example when it comes to forgiveness. Or what about some of the examples of the early disciples? Uh, An atheist said one time, if there really is a God, why didn't he help Stephen who prayed for his enemies as they stoned him to death? And somebody replied, he did that by giving him grace to pray for his murderers. Now you think about somebody in Stephen's situation. In the process of being murdered, he prayed, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. I think another reason that forgiveness is important and necessary is because love calls for it. We read the characteristics of love over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, don't we? You know, love is always forgiving. Hate will prevent us from forgiving. But if we are truly people of love, if we practice agape love, then we will always, under any circumstance, be willing to forgive. And then think about this as well. We need to be forgiven because we, we need to be forgiving because we have been forgiven. In just a few minutes, I'm going to talk about the unmerciful servant over in Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 35. But you think about what we've been forgiven of, and I want to talk about that in detail in just a minute. It ought to be easy for us to forgive somebody else. Now, consider the fact that we desire God's forgiveness toward us, don't we? How many of us desire God to forgive us? How would you feel tonight if you knew that God had not forgiven you of sin? How would that make you feel? How would you sleep tonight? I'd be miserable, I'll be honest with you. If I went to bed tonight knowing that I did not enjoy the forgiveness of God, I couldn't sleep. I can't imagine not knowing God's forgiveness. And yet in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, Jesus said, For if, there's an if-then statement, if you forgive men their trespasses, your Father in heaven will forgive you your trespasses. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Now that's one of the flattest statements in all the Bible. It's a take it or leave it proposition. It is forgive and be forgiven or refuse to forgive and have God's forgiveness denied toward me. You know, the most expensive thing in the world you can do is to harbor ill will toward another person. You know why? Because you will have paid the price of losing heaven. Oh, yeah. It affects your health mentally, it affects you spiritually. Physically, every which way, you're exactly right. Tender-hearted. All right, be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. And so if we don't forgive, we break the bridge that we must pass over in order to be forgiven ourselves. 
we clog the channel by our unforgiveness. We clog the channel through which forgiveness flows. And so we ought never to allow malice and ill will toward another person uh, cause us to even imagine missing heaven because it's a high price to pay. What about how we need to forgive in order to walk with God? Uh, we know Amos 3 and verse 3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? And uh, this applies to us and God. If we're going to be like God, we certainly want to be like God, don't we? Uh, we have to be forgiving. And then think about this fact. You need to forgive because it may be later than you think. The person whom you need to forgive could die, right? How many times has that happened? Oh, I wish I could have said so-and-so to that person. Oh, I wish I could just see that person again. Uh, the person that you're harboring your will could die. Also, you might die as well, correct? And so we certainly, we certainly don't want to, to die in a condition where we're harboring malice and ill will toward another person. Also, I want us to consider, if you will now, the parable of the unmerciful servant over in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Now here, I love this particular parable, one of my favorite ones. The Lord gives an account of a man who owed his master 10,000 talents. Now I'm here to tell you tonight that that is an unbelievably large sum of money. I don't care how many credit cards you may get. I don't know how any person in any age could get in debt that amount. It's just an extremely large sum of money. And I want to illustrate that to you. From Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 and following, we read that the average wage of a worker in Palestine was one denarius or one penny a day. Now, one talent, just one talent alone equals 6,000 denarii or 6,000 days pay. This man wasn't in debt one talent. That'd be bad enough, right? This man was in debt 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents, and I did my calculating here on a machine, 10,000 talents equals 60 million denarii or 60 million days pay. Now, 60 million days, if you divide that up by 365, and JT, we can do that in Alabama. You know, we, we can we figured out how to do that. If you divide 60 million days by 365, that equals 164,183 years. Now, here's a man... Here's a man that was in debt so much that if he worked seven days a week and kept absolutely nothing for himself to live on, it would take him 164,183 years to pay off that debt. It's a debt so large it cannot be paid. It is unpayable. But I submit to you tonight that that's exactly the situation that every one of us is in right now. You see, there's no way that we can work enough or do enough, give enough 
to cause even one sin to be forgiven. But what we cannot do and could not do in and of ourselves, Jesus did for us on the cross, didn't he? He came and paid the debt that we could never pay. And I want to tell you tonight, there is absolutely nothing. This is hard for us to grasp sometimes. There is absolutely nothing that anybody else can do to you in any way. You think of the most horrible thing that somebody could do to you. I mean, just if you want to let your imagination run wild, let it run wild. You can imagine some of the most horrible things that have been done by someone to another person. There is no way that anybody could ever do anything more to us than I've done to God, or that you've done to God. What I've done to God is far worse than anything else anybody could do to me. So if God forgives me, what should I be able to do? I ought to be able to forgive somebody else. That's something that ought to take place. And if you look at this unmerciful servant and this parable, you find the words went out in this parable in verse 28. And uh, you find the words go out. He went out of the presence of God, forgetting the mercy that was extended to him. And he was in danger now. He was going to be lost because he refused to forgive something so little when he had been forgiven of something that was unpayable. And so I think one way that we can have the strength to be forgiving is to realize that it's easier to forgive when we realize how greatly we've been forgiven. How can I be more forgiving? How can I master this? Well, I think not only that, we need to ask for the assistance of God. We need to examine our hearts and make sure that we really want to be forgiving. Uh, That's the difference between just saying a prayer and maybe praying a prayer. I need to look at my heart and ask myself, do I really want to forgive this person for the lie they told about me or what they did to me? Do I really want to forgive them? And uh, we need to ask for the assistance of God to be able to forgive them. Uh, Maybe we could also recite a portion of the disciples' prayer, inserting the offender's name. So you might pray the following, Forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive so-and-so of his trespasses. Maybe you you could word a prayer that way. God, forgive me of what I've done to you, and God, please forgive this other person for what they've done to me. Then I think another thing that's practical that we can do is we need to practice praying for the one that's offended us. You know, you need to be specific. Uh, Call his name. You know, Jesus prayed for his offenders, not just for their punishment, but he prayed there on the cross for forgiveness to ultimately be extended to those who were guilty of such cruel and inhumane punishment. And see, forgiveness has to do with feelings. And through meaningful prayer on behalf of one who offends us, we come to create a love and a feeling that is difficult otherwise to obtain. So we need to practice praying for that person that has offended us. Another way in a practicality that we could... Uh, become more forgiving is we need to speak to others kindly about the person that's done us an injustice. 
You know, practice saying good things about that person to somebody else. Say good something about him. He's, you know, he sure is a, a doing good at this, or I appreciate this about this individual. You know, speak good things about him. Also, uh, develop an understanding heart. We don't know what somebody's situation is. There's usually a cause why a person acts discourteously. He may have been a victim of his own heredity or environment. We're not certainly uh, condoning using that as an excuse. Or uh, maybe something was misrepresented to him, uh, resulting in his offensive behavior. I, I know the true story of a lady that she sat in a certain place in the church building and uh, one morning on Sunday morning, she walked in with her head down and she walked slowly all the way to her pew and sat down. Well, another lady saw that and went to the preacher. Did you see that? She didn't even speak to me. She didn't even take the time to say hello. And she was mad. Well, the preacher explained, you see, she just got the news this week that she's going blind. And all she was doing was counting the steps to the pew that she is going to be sitting on. See, many times we're all caught up in how this affects me, right? We forget what the other person that supposedly has offended us may be going through. There may be some circumstances that we absolutely know nothing about. And so we need to understand other people. And then we need to cultivate a, the grace of mercifulness and compassion. All right, how am I to forgive quickly? I need to forgive from my heart. We've talked about that. Not just lip service, but we need, need to forgive from our hearts. And we need to forgive as God forgives. God forgives uh, freely and abundantly and finally, and He does it uncalculatingly. He does it again and again. You know, uh, the Lord asked, or Peter asked one time, Lord, how often shall I forgive somebody? Uh, how long, how, how long can, how many times can somebody offend me and I forgive them? And the Lord ultimately said, you know, forgive un 70 times 7. Now, Peter thought he was doing well. He took the usual uh, number of forgiveness of 3 and doubled it to 6 and added 1 to it. But we've got to forgive as often as, as we must. Give forgiveness is qualitative, not quantitative. We're not to keep a ledger. You know, we always need to be willing to forgive. Now, quickly before the bell rings, we've got about five minutes. Who should take the initiative in the matter of forgiveness? Let's think about that for just a moment. You know, Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 uh, gives us some insight. You know, for uh, when you come together, he talks about to worship God. If you have all between another brother... You know, leave your gift at the altar. Go and tell him the fault between he and you alone. And then come and offer your gift. Uh, you know, one of the least obeyed commands in the Bible is if, you know, somebody has offended you, you go to that person. I, I, I bet you that's the least obeyed command in all the Bible. Because when somebody offends us, we're going to go to them. How many people do that? Very few. And things fester, they sort of get out of hand. But what should the offender do? If I know that I've offended somebody, if I know that maybe a slip of the tongue or I've said or done something that hurts somebody, uh, and I want to worship scripturally, I need to get things straightened out with the one that I've offended. And it may be that the shortest way to God is the distance to your brother's 
house. And uh, I think if this instruction were truly followed, there might be some worship services that are broken up because there's no need trying to talk to God when we're not willing to talk to our own brother. And so uh, the offender needs to take the initiative, also the offended. And yet oftentimes, you know, we have the attitude, well, they sinned against me. You know, let him take the initiative. Uh, was not the Lord the one that we offended? And aren't you thankful he took the initiative, right? And came from heaven uh, and sent Jesus to die on the cross. And uh, just suppose here an example. Here's brother A and brother B. Brother A sins against brother B. And when the Bible is followed, both will take the initiative and they'll meet halfway probably, right? You know, they're both doing what they're supposed to do. And things are quickly resolved. Now, yeah? Yeah, that's a good point. Very good point. We need to go strictly to that person. If it's a private sin, it's between you and another person. You need to take care of that. Public confession is really unneeded. If you offend somebody, if it's just known by you and the individual. That's exactly right. All right, quickly. You will not have much to forgive. If you'll remember quickly these three things. Number one or two things. Don't be so thin-skinned. We ought not be the people that are, you know, people's got to walk on eggshells around. Uh, little minds are wounded by little things. Uh, we need to avoid carrying a chip on our shoulder because that indicates wood maybe a little higher up. So we don't need to be the kind of people that are thinned skinned. Uh, You know, the heaviest burdens that one has to carry is the chip on the shoulder. And so we need to make sure that we're not the kind of person, first of all, that's easily offended. It ought to be next to impossible to offend you. You know, you ought not be so easily offended. And yet some people, every word, everything, you know, they take it as to how it impacts me. Also, if we get lost in a cause, preoccupying cause that's larger than ourselves, Uh, people's lives must gravitate to some center. And as long as the center is us, is me, I'm going to be easily offended, right? And so we're part of the greatest cause on this earth, the cause of Jesus Christ. And, you know, if we're involved in serving others, the happiest people that I've ever known are the people that selflessly serve other people. They're the most contented people I've ever seen. I want to be like them. You know, you really can't say that they're selfish about anything. They do for others. That's all they ever do. They're doing something for other people. Those are the most happy, contented, joyful people I've ever seen in my life. And you're not going to offend those folks, you know. So we need to get caught up in a great cause. And so I want to close today. Uh, I know it's time for the bell if it hasn't rung already. Let's try to manifest a forgiving spirit. Let's Let's work on it when we... We all have to deal with it from time to time. All of us are, it's human nature. 
because we're human beings, we naturally are going to offend one another. It may be that I say something to you and I may not even know that I've offended you. See, let's not let things fester and grow. Let's be forgiving one toward another and let's be brothers and sisters in Christ loving each other like God wants us to do. All right, let's close with a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for all you've done for us. We're thankful that we've been able to study tonight. And Father, may we follow the example of your Son who forgave those on the cross. May we be forgiving toward those who've wronged us. Father, be with us and watch over us and care for us. In Christ's name, amen.
time for us to go ahead and get started tonight, if we can, please. I love to look out and watch people visit and enjoy one of this company. You know, if you couldn't come to Wednesday night Bible class, you'd have to sit at home, right, twiddle your thumbs. So it's good to assemble together and encourage one another. And we're glad all of you have chosen to be here tonight. I have just some updates tonight uh, that we need to make known. Uh, I want to make sure that the uh, Golden Circle understands that our Valentine's banquet that's in the calendar is not going to take place this coming Friday night that's in there. So we're not having that uh, due to everything that's going on with COVID and all. Also, I mentioned in the class tonight, there's an important correction for the bulletin. Uh, Margaret Horace, the sister-in-law of Joanne Roberts, did not pass away. The bulletin says she did, but that is a mistake, so please note that. Also, uh, visitation team members, uh, please keep in mind that visitation assignments will be at the Welcome Center this coming Sunday, so be prepared for that. Also, you're encouraged before you leave uh, to pick up one of the bulletins uh, that are in the back and uh, look at that information and uh, see what's there. Let's do remember all those who are sick around us. There are several that can't be here because of illnesses of various kinds. Uh, let's do what we can to encourage them, and above all, let's pray for them. Uh, for our uh, service tonight, uh, Gibson Foster is going to be leading our singing. And uh, Brother Tony Barragona, I'm going to ask him to lead our prayer. The invitation song tonight will be 902, Nothing But the Blood. The first song tonight will be 144, O Worship the King. I'll be singing the first and the last verse. Oh, worship the King of glorious the Olympics, the Winter Olympics. Anybody besides me? I haven't watched a lot of it, but I'm interested in a few of the events. Uh, I love the downhill. It's amazing to me to see those skiers as they go down the mountain, twisting and turning at speeds 70 to 90 miles an hour. Now, some folks won't even drive that fast. Can you imagine being on a set of skis, going down a mountainside at that kind of speed. What's interesting to me that in this particular downhill over in China, there is 19 blind spots. And by that, they mean there's, you can't see what you're getting into until you get right there. You can't see ahead of you. And so you've got to trust that 
whatever scouting you may have done, and these people weren't able to even take any uh, practice runs for the most part, you've got to trust that your skill and uh, what advice you may have learned from others who have already uh, gone through the event may have for you. Can you imagine that, being totally blind to what's ahead of you going at that rate of speed down a snowy mountainside? You know, think of Psalms chapter 81 and verse 10. I love that verse. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you forth from the land of Egypt. Open wide your mouth that I may fill it. When I think of that verse, I think about what's going to take place maybe in another month and a half. You, you picture in a little fern or somewhere where you can see a bird's nest and the eggs there are hatched and there's maybe three little baby birds in there. What happens when those little baby birds hear mom calling? Well, they know that mom's bringing them some food, don't they? They trust their mother. And so those little baby birds, trusting completely in their mother, will open wide their mouths and they'll trust that mother is going to put some nourishment in their mouth. And God tells his people, I brought you out of Egypt. I want you to trust me. I want you to open wide your mouth that I may fill it. There was an insurance commercial on television several years ago, and it was a really good commercial. During that commercial, they had an egg that was rolling slowly toward the edge of a table. And as that egg left the table to fall to its destruction on the hard floor beneath, a deep, dark voice came over the airway. When your whole family is in jeopardy. And just as that egg in slow motion is about to crash there on that hard floor, two hands reach out and grab it and save it. Well, we're a lot like that egg. We're sitting on the edge of life, on the edge of the table, and God says, I want you to jump. I want you to do what I tell you to do, regardless of how things may look. I want you to trust me. I want you to trust in my promises, even though you cannot see that my hands will save you. You can't see the result of it. God says, I want you to do what's right regardless. And you trust that my hands are going to be there to catch you. So tonight as we sing this song of encouragement, I hope you'll think about whether or not you really trust God. Is it making a difference in the way that you live your life each day? You know, a part of trusting God is, is doing what he says without question. For one who's outside of Christ, that involves a, an obedient faith, an obedient faith that is willing to change one's life in repentance and to make the confession that Jesus is the Son of God and then to put our trust completely in the Lord by being baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and then living my life each day until death, trusting Him and trusting what He said in His Word. So tonight, if you're subject to the invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing.
come to the end of this service, we're so thankful we've had the opportunity to be here. We're thankful for those that have been teaching tonight, and we pray for you that you will be with them and help them in all of their endeavors to teach the Word of God. Father, be with those that have been mentioned as being sick. Heal them if it be your will. Be with us as we leave this place so that we can go out and show the love of Jesus to the world around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>